Hey folks, just a quick reminder, my donation page for my 36-hour homeless challenge for the Sanctum Group is still open and accepting donations. Please help me raise $20,000 to raise awareness and funds for the Sanctum Care Group home. And uh, it is available to donate online at www.zoo.com slash sanctum. That is zu.com slash S-A-N-C-T-U-M. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Welcome to the new and improved podcast, and I am Albert. I am buzzing. Did you guys watch that game last night? The Toronto Raptors beat the Bucks of Milwaukee last night in game number six to advance to their very first NBA Finals. I can't believe I'm even saying that. I don't get to talk sports a lot on this program because I feel like I'm just going to alienate anybody who wants to talk about anything else. But man, we have to talk about this. The Raptor game last night, it's going to date itself in this conversation in future podcasts, but who cares? That was a crazy game, crazy series. And if you think about how long ago Orlando was, that series felt like it was last year. The Raptors have miles on them in this playoffs, and they're going to be in tough against the Warriors of Golden State. That was a great game. Kawhi Leonard, please stay in Canada next year. You are now Jesus anywhere you go. I don't know if you know this, but this is my plea to you to stay in Toronto because you could play it out for the rest of your life and have those fans behind you all the way. Man, that was an amazing game. Uh, not to mention that uh, I don't think anybody noticed, but the Blue Jays got thumped, I think, 19-4. to And that's my team. 19-4 to in Toronto. But they don't care because I think I heard there's like, it looked like there's a million people in Toronto last night. And somebody said that there was no arrests made. And that is the beautiful thing about sports is that when you win, people aren't upset. But there were people jumping on cop cars And I still feel that might be illegal. But I still can't get over what happened. The fact that Toronto is in the finals of an NBA playoff is bananas. I didn't think I'd be able to ever say that because just how the economics and the business of NBA works and the stars that we typically attract and the fact that we can't retain stars... There's something special. Um, The old GM there, Masai, has something up his sleeve every season that has seen us improve. And man, you have to imagine, he was criticized and almost crucified for firing the coach of the year and getting rid of our star player, DeMar DeRozan. It could have just blown up in his face, but man, rookie head coach, brand new player who's coming off an injury that took Saddam out for the entire season. And now we are in the NBA Finals. He looks like a genius. Anyways, how are you guys doing out there? I am doing fine. I am gearing up for an interesting week. This is D-Day for me, where I have to go live on the street for 36 hours for the Sanctum Survival Challenge. And this is for a great cause, as you probably heard before, and I am looking forward to it, but also scared because I'm not too sure what to expect. 36 hours outside with donated clothes, with no money, no food, and very like really no access to uh, any of my friends or my network. So I have to fend for myself, find meals, find food, find money, 
And uh, I'm not going to treat this as a game because I think that would just ruin the point of it. I'm going to just try to absorb it and really understand what it feels like to be homeless and have a disability of some sort. So, um, yeah, tune in next time and next podcast as I maybe do a recap of my time on the street. Uh, judging by the people who've done it before, it sounds like a life-changing event. And for me, I don't know, is this going to be glorified? Is this going to be just slightly harder than camping? Or is this going to be a completely different world that I am not used to? Okay, let's rock and roll. Today's podcast, I have none other than my friend Alice Kuypers on. Alice is an author and a foreign transplant from the UK. She found herself living here in the mid-2000s after she met her future partner, Yann Martel. Yes, the Yann Martel from previous new and improved podcasts. Pretty sure that's all he's known for. Anyways, together the two authors call Saskatoon home and have a house full of kids and are extremely active in the community. See, Alice and I met a few months ago when we were taking part in this project, and she recruited slash voluntold me to take part in this homeless, homeless challenge for the Sanctum Group. In our conversation, Alice brings me through the whole world of writing for youth, because that's what she does. She's a children's author and a young adult author, and she talks about the creative process all the way to the business model, and she tries to explain it to me like I'm five years old, but yet I'm still not 100% of how it all works. Anyway, sorry for the background noise. Um, there's lots of construction going on outside. There's dogs barking, birds chirping. But you know what? That's the sound of spring. And uh, that's what happens when everything is free and I don't have any advertising to pay for a studio. Yeah. Anyways, hopefully it adds to the ambiance and you guys still can enjoy my podcast with Alice Kuypers. Well, Alice, thank you for coming on. Um, I don't... It's funny because you and I are like been spending a lot of time lately That's together, right. yeah. but we don't know no. t- much about each other. That's right. And it's because I'm so mysterious. We're roughly the yeah. same age. <laughs> probably, I think well, I'm probably much older. <laughs> what year were you born? Uh, 1979. I was born in 79. There you go. We literally were born in the same year. What, what month? January 16th. Oh, so you just would have turned 40. I did just turn 40. I had a, I had a nice birthday. Yeah. See, I'm turning 40 right away too. Okay, there you a- go. Any advice on how to like? Well, I didn't Keep really organize anything till last minute, and then it was really nice what I did. And then I actually spent quite a bit of time thinking about like who I wanted to be and what. what. Like, I'm I'm one of those people who like every year sets a whole bunch of goals, and like New Year's is a big thing because I set a bunch of not resolutions, but things I want to do over the year ahead. So forty for me was a little. I, I say this has been a reflective year. I'd say I'm going through something. What are you? What Just are you going through? You think thinking about like. Where my career is at, my children are a little bit older. My youngest is four now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's slightly different from having four children under the age of six, which is where things were at <laughs> for a little bit of time. Um, so I was either sort of pregnant or dealing with a newborn. And before I had our first baby, I published my first book. So it was 2007. So I'd been writing for a number of years, but I published the first book in 2007 and then um, had a baby... 2009 and sort of from that point on it was baby book baby book like every every year and so but now suddenly you, now I'm 40 and I've published 10 books and I have four children and so there's time for reflection I think okay but it's not negative no oh, no okay. no no going through something in an interesting way like yeah okay yeah. I think when everybody says I'm going through something it 
the, the assumption is that it's something that's, you know, maybe a little bit more negative than positive. I think, well, we've talked before about being unsettled and just wondering what that means, like where where life is taking me, where I want it to take me, where I want it to be. I mean, it's a place of privilege to be able to even consider these things, but I am in that position and so I want to think about what's next, right? Yeah, so what did you do to the lead up to 40? Did you do anything different? I went to Banff on a three-week... Bender. Um, Bender, that's right. <laughs> no, I did not do that. I went to Banff. Um, I managed to get in to something called 20th century, 21st century fables, uh, which was a retreat led by Madeleine Tien and Lisa Moore and Rawi Hodge, who were three writers, Canadian writers who I admire. And they were working with 10 authors to work on an adult story, an adult fable. So it wasn't writing for children. And all the way through my writing for children career, I've also written stuff for adults. It's just I've never published it or shared it. And I really connected. I mean, I knew Lisa more a little bit anyway, but she was very supportive and very interested and very interesting about what choices I would want to make as a writer when it comes to how I manage my time with my children and how I manage my time as a writer and taking myself seriously. And there was an offhand comment a couple of years ago by someone called J.L. Richardson, who's another writer I really admire. Um, and she just, I was joking about something. She said, you really don't take yourself very seriously. And it's partly cultural, like it's partly because I'm from the UK. Um, but it's partly that I just want to sit with that a little bit and think, okay, if I'm taking myself seriously as a writer, now I possibly could. I have published lots of books. Like, oh, okay, maybe I really am a writer and I can stop, like, even wondering whether I am or not because it takes you, a little while to get your head w- around that. Was there a time where you didn't feel like, were you feeling like an imposter that you c- yeah, didn't pretty much all the up? way through? Which my mum, who is who's done very well in her job, says that a lot of women tend to feel that they feel like an imposter and they feel like they haven't quite necessarily deserved the job that they've got and they worry about asking for raises and they feel like they're some, some kind of fraud. And then I look at all the women who I know who have been really successful or done really well. And I hear them saying that too, that they feel sometimes, mm-hmm. like, how did this end up happening? How am I here? So just sort of, Jail was saying, just stop it, so <laughs> basically. You, you said yeah. you published 10 books. Mm-hmm. In in my world, I don't know and understand the significance of even publishing one book. Like if you get one pu- book published, is that like typically a big deal? Does that, like, does that kind of validate you in a certain way? I think um, I know lots of people who who write and who want to write or who are trying to make time to write. And then I know lots of people here in Saskatoon who have successfully published or self-published or um, published internationally and shared their work. And I think, to be honest, any step along that way, any time whether you end up with a book that's published or a book that's not published, sitting down and taking the time and putting something where before there wasn't anything for anyone who does that, who wants to do that, it's it's a big deal. Yeah. So, so the, the outside affirmation is, isn't the piece that fuels what I'm doing, which is partly why um, when I sit back and look at it a little bit now, mm-hmm. and I'm only 40, but I'm also 40, it's like kind of an interesting middle space, is, is okay, I've had outside affirmation but what do I really want to do creatively like where do I want to go what do I want to write next and that's a nice place to be to feel like I can choose a little bit more thoughtfully I'm not a very thoughtful person when it comes to just 
darting through life. Like I moved to Saskatoon after knowing my boyfriend at the time for five weeks. I um, never really think more than five minutes ahead and I kind of career from one thing to another. Uh, and so I thought this year I could learn to be a little bit more thoughtful. Not and that I don't think about world stuff, but just about my own life. But just yeah. take time. Yeah. Okay. And so at 40, do you think, do you consider yourself old or young? Well, I don't know. Or do you think you're in like the perfect pinnacle of your... I feel like I am maybe more comfortable with myself now than I was, which is a nice thing. I was kind of an angsty teenager. Um, What part of England did you grow up in? Southeast London. Okay. The the beautiful town of Crystal Palace. It's sort of part of Southeast London. Southeast, okay. Yeah. Is that because I, I only know like kind of the north area from Golders yeah. Green to not North London, Hampstead, yeah. not there, <laughs> You're southeast, yeah, angsty, yeah, that's right. That's I've all... always been angsty though. My best friend when I was growing up was like, Stop apologizing, will you stop apologizing? And I would just always be worried about how I was doing things, and I guess I don't worry about that stuff as much anymore, yeah. I'm really interested about the like the whole path and how you came to Saskatoon because I think it's really interesting that you and Yan have both decided to settle this mm-hmm. is, uh, in Saskatoon, not settle in the sense of like, you know, truly settle. I mean, but just in the sense of chose to uh, as a place to live mm-hmm. because in your profession, you know, better than anyone, you probably could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could live um, and yet it says a lot about our city, the mm-hmm. fact that you guys have decided to live here. Mm-hmm. Um, so give us a little bit of the journey on how you actually made it over here because you were you said 20, at 24 you decided to come mm-hmm. here. I was 24 when I moved to Saskatoon. Uh, well, I fell wildly in love with Jan, and he had the job of writer-in-residence at Saskatoon Public Library. Saskatoon Public Library does this amazing program where they bring a writer in to serve the community for nine months of every year. So anyone who is wanting to write, who wants to have their work reviewed or talk about writing or get ideas can go and meet with writing residents not university based it's community based so I really liked that notion mm-hmm. and Jan was coming here to do that nine month position and then when I met him he had traveled and lived everywhere and traveled more than anyone I knew and I traveled a lot like I used to love to travel I still do but when I was 24, I had traveled as much as I possibly could with every spare minute of time. Like I would finish university at the beginning of the summer and just get out of the UK and travel. I went away for nearly a year when I was 18 by myself and traveled. Like I just loved to see the world. Mm-hmm. And when I was younger, my ambition really was to travel to every single country that there is, which that ambition changed. All so 200 and some of them. Something like yeah. that. I probably never counted them. Well, they're changing um, yeah. every day. <laughs> like that, shifting boundaries. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so we came here for that. And then... But he, was he in England at the time? Was he, he was living there? He was touring. He just was there for like a day. So where was he in his career and where were you in your career? So he had published the book that he's best known for, Life of Pi, and he was touring um did you know who he was at the time no i uh i was working at the church english festival so i just knew i had to so i'll tell you the slightly longer version i uh i knew i had to pick up a writer that afternoon because my friend 
Wendy, who was supposed to pick up that writer, that was her volunteer position that day, wanted to go and see somebody else's talk. So I said, sure, Wendy, I'll go pick so up this Wendy guy. So Wendy was supposed to pick up Yan. That's right. What a sliding door scenario I know, that right? would have been, right? And so I went to pick up Yan and I parked the car and I got out at the station to go and look for this guy. And I realized that I hadn't brought the program. I knew he'd written a book that had been very successful. I'd, I'd heard of Life of Pi and I'd heard it had won the booker, but I didn't know what he looked like. And so I was standing at the station saying to various people, are you Jan Martel? And they would say no. Um, and then eventually I saw a guy coming up a little tiny ramp at the station and I thought, oh, I hope it's not him because he's really attractive and I actually want to just get on with work and not be distracted. Um, and it was him. So we started talking and we walked back to the car and whilst the car had been parked, someone had driven into the back of the car and it had bounced and hit another car. So there was this three-car kind of mini pile-up. There was a really angry man. There was a woman crying. <laughs> and Jan told me later he hadn't understood a single word I'd said because I, I spoke too quickly. And so that was how we first met. And, and it kind of went from there. And we were talking earlier that... He was 40 and you were 24. That's right. And you were aiming for kids. That's right. I wanted <laughs> to have children. I wanted to have children ever since I've been about 18. I don't know why I wanted children. But so did you badly. also want to be an author? I, yeah, I was writing a lot. I, I don't know if I'd gone so far as to want to be an author, but I wanted to have a life where I could write every day. So I wanted a life where I had children, where I could travel, and where I could write every day. And now... I have children and I write nearly every day and I feel pretty excited to live in a city which has drive throughs because <laughs> for me they feel like traveling. <laughs> I still find them ludicrously exotic. I feel like when you live in a, in a foreign country, um, which which Canada is to me, uh, you still you're kind of traveling every day. You still feel foreign? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? I don't mind. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. You always want to I just like, have to yeah. go to the edge of the city and then the the buildings stop and you hit the land and I just have to look at that for like half a second and it makes me feel so far from home it's so different from how I grew up like I never really thought about buildings being on on the land before in, in the way that that you can't help but think about here because everywhere I went was hundreds of years old like the land had had been co-opted by buildings for centuries like the school I went to was was built in 1351 I'm mm -hmm. gonna say right like so so yeah. for me that concept of building on land like it just didn't make sense to me yeah it's funny because you're coming to Canada and you see what the the buildings look like and I go to England for example mm -hmm. and everything is like cobblestoned or you know you're just in any city any any town in our part of London and you decide to use a bathroom it's always the most narrow hallway because it's always some makeshift hallway that they created to get you in a basement bathroom mm -hmm. and you realize this has been here for 200 years yeah and in Canada we have these massive hallways aisles and everything and it seems almost like fake I'm, I'm assuming it just seems exotic to me it seems really it's exotic when I go there. Yeah, right. I can't believe you think our tinsel town <laughs> is exotic. Well, and the drive-through right there, I still find ludicrously exciting. The fact you can drive up and ask for a coffee or a burger, and they you just can do pass that. it through the window. You, you probably can in England now, but when it's I last lived suburbs, in the UK, right? yeah, fifteen years ago, you could not do that. I remember uh, driving through France. We were going from Nice to Barcelona, 
and we just had a car and I just said, I don't even care to see like the French countryside. I want to go to like a place that looks like Saskatoon. And so we went off the beaten path just to find like a big box center in the south of France. And I'm like, you know what? This sort of life does make sense. It's highly convenient. It had the Starbucks and had all these sort of things. And it's like the least south of France thing you could possibly see. Right. But uh, it's funny how it all makes sense after a while. The American mm-hmm. influence just ends up like being so prolific over out in Europe. But anyways, going back to being an author now. So mm-hmm. like you, you guys hit it off and you decided after five weeks mm-hmm. to move to Canada. Because mm-hmm. he was already the author in residence. He was about to be, yeah. And what was the conversation like? Hey, do you want to come back and live with me and potentially see if this thing works? Or were you guys like mm-hmm. madly in love and you guys just couldn't think of anything else? That was pretty much no. The conversation was, you know, do you want to do this? And it was one of those days uh, that don't happen often in life. Um, so I had just been offered some work um, through the festival where I had met Jan. They had asked me to come and try and apply for a job there. So to come to, to to apply, to basically put an application in. So I wasn't necessarily going to get the job, but they were suggesting that it might be an idea for me to do that. And then I was also, I had been working in Manchester where I lived at the time. Um, I'd been working as, doing a ton of research for someone who worked as a tour guide. So I worked as a journalist and then I was like a journalist. I was working as like a listings journalist for a magazine um, called City Life. And so for a guy there, I'd been doing a lot of research. Anyway, he phoned me and said, you know, I have um, like eight weeks worth of work for you to do, which would have probably led to other work. And it was stuff I was really interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, like I would go and sit in the library and research stuff and then he would be able to write it and put it together. And and then Jan said the same day, you know, do you want to come to live in Canada, in Saskatoon? And I said, where? <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I just shut the door. Switched off my phone, or unplugged it, I suppose, and uh, yeah. And decided Canada. Well, I was in love with him, and it just felt like I could do all the other things. Did uh, you have to make? Did you have to get work? Is that your cell phone? I feel like it is, but I don't know. I thought I turned it. Do you have a ringtone? I seem to have one. No, it's silenced and notifications are off. But it is making a sound, right? Calls will be silenced and notifications will appear in notification center. Yeah, I turn it off like every night at nine o'clock. But why is it playing some like <laughs> t- Tamagotchi like soundtrack? I don't know. It's just feeling Was lonely. there a Pokemon nearby no, that nothing, you had to like, like go attack? Nothing, nothing. Sure. <laughs> weird? Um, I don't know why it was doing that. So did you have to like work a normal job when you came here? So you're not allowed to work when you come to oh, yeah, Canada right. as a jurist. Um, and then did you have I, to apply for some sort yeah, of Yes, so I like, applied for residency and... Uh, and then got residency, and then I worked. I worked at the Pilates studio that was on Broadway. Oh, really? Were while. you like an instructor? Mm-hmm. Are you like a certified Pilates instructor? I am. Yeah. I to this day, which is really embarrassing, I have no idea what Pilates is. Okay, well, it's it's interesting, and that's a I whole heard there's like device. I, I heard there's say about that. But I I've, heard there's like devices. Yeah, yeah. And I've never even like to. The, I, I guess I could just Google it. But so I, I was certified as a mat instructor. I couldn't. I couldn't teach you how to use the devices. A what instructor? A mat instructor. So I could teach you on the mat. And uh, is it, how close is it to yoga? Mm, there's some similarities. So uh, Joseph Pilates, who created Pilates, used yoga a lot as 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 the base for what he was trying to do. But I haven't taught for a really long time, so I wouldn't be able to run a class now because you have to you have to keep your right. your levels up and I'm not I'm not but, any longer. But there's these devices supposedly. Yeah, you yeah, know there are. 
Like, what are yeah. the devices? What are they called now? I can't remember. Are they very specific to Pilates? Yeah. Oh, so, so something I would Reformers. Come... There we go. They're called reformers. And so I... S- sounds I like could... a Scientology tool. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> and they're good though. I mean, it kept me in good shape. I would be at the Pilates studio for like 20 hours a week. And then I used to dance with Alamar Dance uh, Theatre here. So we used to dance a ton. So we, w- we worked at a restaurant here in town and we did tons of events. And I, so I danced a lot. What kind of um, dance? Belly dancing. Well, you're a belly dancer. Nice. You <laughs> still belly really dance? Fun. No, I don't do that anymore. Why not at 40? I know, right? I've done hip hop for the last two years. Really? <laughs> These are the things you do not need to know. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's funny because I want to make sure I don't get the uh, the polished Alice. That's right. Because Greg says that as soon as the microphone's in front of you, you turn into some sort of like <laughs> That's right. British diplomat. <laughs> That's right. That's, That's why I said you want some wine so you can right. kind of let loose. Because when we first hip-hop met, hip hop dancing. Yep. <laughs> are you Which wearing, is ridiculous. Are you wearing like ridiculous. denim overalls and like a it. side yeah, hat? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> one of the teachers said at one point uh, last year something along the lines of, you know, next time you're street dancing. And I was thinking, I'm never going to be doing that. I drive a van and I pick up my kids from soccer. I'm, oh, you I'm not going to be street dancing. Like, but you want, you want some street cred? That's <laughs> Pick up the yeah. kids from soccer. I know, but I did learn how to to do a stool, which was totally ridiculous. So you're but like talking like break dancing too. <laughs> right. Oh, that's awesome. Hey. I'm not good at it, but I do like it. Okay, yeah. so does that mean you listen to hip hop? Mm-hmm. Okay, so like what sort of hip hop are you listening to for your type of dance? Are you listening to classic hip hop or are you listening to like new so, mumble rap? No, so for for dance, so I, I I've been going to the rec classes with Def Soul, which I recommend for anyone. Okay, yeah. Um because they're like six or eight weeks and yeah. they're very based around like adults uh who have to deal with kids or work or can't be there every week and um they're really good. And then it depends which session you're in, what you're gonna be listening to. But they're really good at talking about the history of the music that you're listening to. So I really like Is, Are you with like a bunch of other moms? Yeah. Like dancing? Not all moms. There's other people who are but yeah, there's there's moms dancing and yeah. Man, that no I'm I'm like <laughs> I'm trying not to belittle it or like you, I'm I, yeah. I just think it's it's awesome that you're like or hip hop dancing. I, like, yeah, well I don't know that I would go that far, but I do yeah, I really like it. I have a lot of fun. And um am I gonna Def see Soul it? are excellent. They're a very, very good dancer. My son dances there and he does competitive dance with them and he's really good. Yeah. I think you see them at um Folk Fest every once in a while. Yeah. So we're going to see like hip hop dancing at Folk Fest. That's right. Like clowning or crunking. <laughs> Alice going to be at the no, British. No, it won't be me. No, I don't do the performance classes. I just do I just do the rec classes. But um, no, I like doing stuff like that. I also did um, classes, I guess, a year ago at the local kitchen, the chef school that they do there. Oh, like cooking classes. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I, th- I didn't know if that was like. So I like taking like classes. Taking I like learning classes. stuff. I do, I'm one of those people who's a total sucker for online classes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when, for people who don't know, okay, how do you pronounce your last name? Kuipers. I, I did wonder if you were going to ask that. Kuipers? Kuipers. Kuipers. Kai. It's just like to a rhyme K- with sky like and purrs, the sound a cat makes. K-I-P-E-R-S is how kind you of. pronounce it. Like, Unless you want to say kippers, but that's not quite right either. I, yeah. I called it quippers. Yeah, well, that's acceptable, but not right. Alice Kuipers. Yeah, there you go. Okay, that's the, the official pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Alice Kuipers, the author, what category do you occupy and do you like even knowing that you occupy a certain category because you said you're like trying to work on some um adult fiction Mm -hmm. and are you established name are you an established name in that world are you i I, 
you're more on the... So I've published five YA novels. I just had a book out yesterday or the day before. Uh, YA nonfiction. And what's the title of that book? The newest one is called Always Smile and it's about a young woman called Carly Allison who was 19 when she died of a very aggressive, extremely rare cancer. And that was a book that I was asked to participate in. I wasn't sure I'd be able to do it. And it was a really interesting project. So I got to meet with her family and I got to meet with her boyfriend and I got to meet with the people who loved her to think about how do you tell the story of somebody so dynamic, so brave, so engaging and so young when she lost absolutely everything. Where from? Um, uh, Toronto. So yeah, I- so I spent time over there and worked on the book. And yeah, that just came out. And then I've also published two chapter books. So those what do you mean are, by chapter books? Those are books for children who are beginning to read books for themselves. Oh, is that and they what? want books that have chapters. You know that feeling where you reach yeah. the end of a chapter and you're super excited? So a chapter book is, is typically for younger people. Because mm-hmm. as an adult, you read books, they have chapters. Oh, yeah. So a chapter book is a very specific thing. It might have 9, 10, or 11 chapters. They would be short chapters so that a reader feels accomplished at the end and excited to move to the next chapter or the next book in the series. So and what age category is that? probably between six and nine depending on the age of the reader but you'd obviously have some kids who were younger some kids who were a bit older who okay so you occupy from six to nine and then young adult is what age Mm, so my first book life on the refrigerator door sometimes kids read it who are 11 it's sad so i caution kids and parents that it is emotionally upsetting and then each book after that would go a little older, I would say. So 13, 14, 15. Okay. They touch on topics like sex and violence and drug use. And um, so I just make sure that people know what they're getting into if they are. Okay. So I, I think when I thought you were a children's author, I thought you were doing the pretty much zero to five-year-old. I've published two picture books as well. Okay. Um, so those are books which have um, mainly illustration and so yeah this and this is the topic that i have a million questions for Mm -hmm. just the world of books is especially in the children's book is how do you know what's going to resonate i don't think about that i um i think about what i'm interested in and i think about what i want to write and i write probably five or six books for every book that's published that doesn't end up resonating either with me um, or if I take it further and keep going with it and share it, it doesn't resonate with my first readers or if I take it beyond them and I share it with my agent, it doesn't resonate with her. So I don't try to judge. you don't do research on understanding like child behavior or anything? No. Because I think... I live with it. (laughs) Right. I have that at home. Is Um, that your user group that you study? I don't really study like that. So but do you read other young oh, yeah. picture books just to kind of see what's out there? I read them because I enjoy them. So I read I read everything um, that I can get my hands on for kids and young adults. Because um, I just remember watching or reading that, that Malcolm Gladwell book. I can't remember. I think it might have been The Tipping Point. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about Blue's Clues and Sesame Street and the amount of like research mm-hmm they put in just to understand how long to make the programming and just in the talks in depth of how they were able to create some sort of successful program like Blue's Clues. It's like a new format. And I just wondered in the world of 
children's books, mm-hmm. do your publishers give you a little bit of that data to understand no. that we need something with vampires? No, 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 it doesn't work like that at all. Um, <laughs> uh, not even a bit. Uh, although they probably do stuff in house, which would be based on thinking about to know that the this market. will be a hit. It's mm-hmm. almost like a Christmas song yeah. that's in this chord with jingle bells, and with this type of singer, will be a hit no matter what. And mm-hmm. wondering. It has to work that way in the in the, the book market, especially there's business model attached to it. They want to create hits. So the way that it works for me, and I don't know how other people do it, and I don't know how other writers do it, except for all the people who I know who are writers, and all of them do it this way. You come up with an idea, and you write it, and you don't pitch the idea first. Not with fiction, you don't tend to. You can do. And there are some authors I know who sometimes do that, or maybe you would sell a two-book deal. Um, but in the main, it's it's very creatively based. So you come up with an idea and you spend time with the idea and you you write it badly and then you work on it until it's better and then you send it out and then it gets rejected or it doesn't. Um, so this is when you don't have like kind of a, a two or three book deal. Mm-hmm. It's just and you send it out to a list of publishers or do you have kind of one that you usually go so to I, first? I have an agent who does all that for me. Okay. So if somebody were starting in the industry, there are different choices now to the choices that I had when I started. Um, so when I started, self-publishing was a newer concept that was still happening, but it wasn't as possible and it wasn't as fluid and it wasn't as successful necessarily mm-hmm. um, as it can be for people who... who elect to go that way so if somebody writes a book and they're going to self-publish it then I would understand that they might want to do a ton of that research into the marketing and the cover design and the best places to sell that book there's a middle ground where the publisher and the writer work together so maybe the publisher provides the editor and the book designer and the copy editor um, and they work together with the author on the marketing and promotion. And then there's the traditional publishing model, which has been where I've always published everything, um, which has been through a lot of luck, I would say, um, and a lot of rejection, like an insane amount of rejection, um, which always just made me want to work harder at the next book it suited me well it suited me pushing Mm -hmm. myself in this sense of okay this isn't good enough that's okay how can I do better um and so within that model I don't have to think about that stuff at all because they either accept or reject based on whatever research they've done on what's going to work in the market as they anticipate it and then they do the book design the editing there is an editor who works with me and I have final say on the edits. Then there's a copy editor who would go over with a fine tooth comb. So I'm just doing a copy edit right now mm. um, for one of the books I have coming out. They do the cover design. They do the marketing. The they, illu- do the, they do the illustrations as well. So the publisher doesn't do the illustrations, but they would hire the illustrator and reach out to them and organize with them that whole piece. So of the books I've published, four of them have been illustrated by two different illustrators. I don't work with the illustrator at all. I only just met my illustrator for Polly Diamond, which is one of my book series. When I was on tour in the US just a few weeks ago, that was the first time I met her face to face. And I think that would surprise a lot of people. A lot of people mm-hmm. would traditionally think that you're working in cahoots with the 
the illustrator. And that, again, depends on what model you're using. So if you're using a self-publishing model, then you would work in cahoots with the illustrator. You would select the illustrator mm-hmm. yourself and you would be maybe giving them guidance. But the way that I have done this so far, the illustrator has been selected by the publisher and then they work with the art designer and art editor. And that person then works with the editor who overall sees the project and who connects with right. me. So there's four people involved. So if oh, you amongst I mean, a much bigger team, but there's four key people who do. But that does surprise me in the sense of if you look at a typical, like very like like light children's book that has maybe 25 words in the book, how would you send that like four paragraphs and get a book deal out of it? Or do those shortened books where it's like Timmy the turtle went to town and the next page is then he ran into the hairy rabbit mm. the next page and you're talking <laughs> about 12 pages of that 32 how would you actually se- 32 like that's the industry standard, standard. well how um, do you send that away and get a book deal because it feels like well not- mo- most of the time that isn't what happens so a lot of the time um people don't get get a book deal like it's 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 um it's really difficult to to, to go through the traditional publishing model. And that doesn't mean that the Timmy the Turtle story isn't going to work for a reader somewhere, but it might be that the, a traditional publishing company might say, okay, this book, you know, your, your four paragraphs, like they're just not going to work for what we're looking for, for the market we're trying to mm-hmm. connect with. But it might be that you can self-publish that and you can do that successfully as a book in a different way from the way that a traditional publisher might see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so with a picture book, normally they're under a thousand words, typically maybe under 700 words. And there are some that you read and you think, I'm puzzled how that, how yeah. that made it in the world. But to be honest, that happens very rarely most of the time. When I look at what somebody has achieved with that few words, I am astonished at how difficult I, I know it to be. So for my first picture book, I rewrote it over 600 times just to get it in shape. How many words was it? 675. And you rewrote it mm-hmm. 600 times. Mm-hmm. How long did that take you? Mm, two years. Holy man. Yeah. So, um, and I don't think that's uncommon for people who who publish, um, whether self-published or or through traditional publishing routes, I don't think it's uncommon for a picture book to take a really, really long time. Like You can think for a long time about which is a better word to use. And sometimes people hear that and think, oh, that sounds really boring or mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to do that with my time. And, and that's fine, but that's really, apart from spending time with my children, um, that's pretty much all I want to do with my time is think about which is the better word and which is the better sentence and should the sentence be lower down the page or further up the page or should it be on a different page or th- those those things interest me mm-hmm. so with Cartley Cartley story always smile mm-hmm. how do you get matched up with that story do you have an agent that uh, is there like a market that says we're looking for an author that's going to be able to tell our story and then so in this instance kids can press the publisher I'm working with there um wanted to have 
this story turned into a book. So they had bought the rights to the book but hadn't got a writer for the book. And so this was not how I've worked before. I've also not written nonfiction before, so I was unsure when my agent wrote to me and said, Kids Can Press have this project. They think you would be a good fit. I think you would be a good fit. Do you want to consider connecting with them? Like having a Skype call, I think it was. Um, So I said I'd be open to talking with them, but I wasn't sure it was going to work very well because I didn't really know how to begin. Mm -hmm. And so with nonfiction, normally if you're publishing nonfiction, you would write a proposal for what you wanted to do and then that would be bought not quite cold, like you have to have a very clear proposal, but you don't write the entire text like you do with fiction. Um, And in this case, they wanted me to talk about how I would think about the book, like what it would look like to me. And I wasn't sure how to do it, but like with anything, I sat down and thought about it and did quite a bit of research into her and her life. There's a movie on Netflix about her called Kiss and Cry. So I watched the movie um, and then started looking at the differences between the movie and the stories that I was able to read. And she'd also written a blog and I knew that I wanted that to be part of the book. Suddenly I started to see, okay, if I was doing this, this is how I would do it. Mm-hmm. And then I remember I was having a shower and I thought, oh, this is how I want to do it. Um, and it became very clear to me that I had a way that would work for me mm-hmm. to feel like this was the way to tell this story. So she was extremely dynamic and engaging and the sort of person who walked into a room and lit it up. Mm-hmm. And to me, it seemed the only way to tell the story of that person was to use the voices of the people who who loved her to hear what they had to say. And so then it became really interesting to me because then it was a case of talking to those people, hearing their words and sharing the right pieces of their story, like selecting what would be the bits to give enough of a sense of who Carly was right. with the permission and the pleasure of the people who had known her with the words. Like they had to feel pleased with what I had done. Like it had to work for them too. Mm-hmm. So it became an interesting challenge. And so that's what I proposed um, when I talked with Kids Can Press. And then the family interviewed me too. So they had to decide too whether they thought it would be a good fit. Okay. And I just really like the family. I really admire them. I really respect them. So it felt not difficult to begin that process. Right. And with it's classified under the young adult mm-hmm. category, which I'm not very familiar with. But is that in the same world as like the whole Twilight kind of saga, like the same age well, range? Yeah, that would be a similar Where, age like, range. What's the state of that industry right now? And like, what do you expect out of that book <laughs> in the sense of... You're asking things I don't think about. <laughs> oh, I'm just wondering. No, no, like, no, but do I, they, I don't. Because I, I, I... Okay, who would buy that book? Like, and how does the business model work? Does, like, a 14-year-old now go and, like, with all this, like, bullshit Instagram stuff, do, like, 14-year-olds go and buy a book? Or do they wait till it's in school and they get forced to to read it? I don't, yeah, this is interesting because I don't think about this stuff at all. Um, Kids definitely read and teenagers definitely read and there's, like, a whole world on the internet of book lovers Um particularly young book lovers, teenagers Mm -hmm. and kids who really talk about and connect with books Mm -hmm. in terms of sales and like thinking about that side of things, um, where the 14 year olds will go out and buy it. I, I don't, 
I, I like. Or is this more? Are you? Do you think that this might be one of those books you'll see at like a school that gets adopted into the the curriculum? Is that? It's funny because you're so anti-business almost. It's not, that, it's, that, not like, like, it's not anti. It's, I just don't think I about just it. Wonder. Like I, I don't think about it. I mean, so the way that the book world works is you get paid in advance. So you get paid in advance on sales. Okay. Um. So let's say, and these numbers I'm just going to pull like numbers out of thin air here um, that are not reflective of what I get paid or what anybody I know gets paid. Like this is nothing to do with anything. These are just round numbers. So let's say you get an advance of $10,000, right, mm-hmm. on sales. What that means is you get the $10,000 and you might get it split in two points. You might get it on signing. So signing your contract to say the, the book has been accepted for publication and then you might get so you might get five thousand dollars then you might get five thousand um, dollars at point of sale right when the book becomes available to the public so we're not talking lots of money here um but that's what you get your advance right mm-hmm. a percentage of that goes to the agent if you have an agent so let's say 15 percent is mm-hmm. gone already but that doesn't matter when it comes to this advance piece. And this is this is going to help you see why I don't think about what happens next. Um, so then what happens is you get a royalty structure. So let's say, to make it easy, the book sells for $10, which it wouldn't, but let's say it does. Since it sells for $10 and you get um, 10%. So let's say you get a dollar for every book that's sold. Mm-hmm. Until 10,000 copies have sold, you don't see any of your royalties because you have to pay back the advance. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. If you don't sell, like, more than 500 copies, you don't pay back the advance, right? Like, the advance is yours regardless. Yeah. But the... It's just kind of protection. If you hit that 10,000, yeah. then you start to see royalties. Then okay. you start to see, oh, this book is selling really well. Mm-hmm. So the advance is an arbitrary number as decided by the publisher and the agent based on what they think the book might end up selling. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you outsell your advance, sometimes you don't, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Have you been on both sides? Yeah, and like it's a complete, like you get, it's often quite far down the line from when the book comes out to when you start seeing any royalties come back beyond your, Right. Advance, right? Like it can be a period of time, right? Depending on how much the advance is. Like if you get a very high advance, mm-hmm. it might take a and while. And you never know what's going to spike the popularity right. in the book, so, right? So like if I, like, so I've published 10 books in 34 countries. So to think about the business side of what my business does would be very, very complicated. So 10. <laughs> it doesn't 10, interest me. But 10 books, so, are you yeah. just seeing royalty checks come in? Because so it's they're, different. They're it's, different. S- it's different for different books. It's different for different countries. It's different for like so. Let's say somebody wants to turn one into a play or turn one into something for TV. Yeah. Like they might pay me something. So it depends on the day. And sometimes it might be okay. This book has gone out of print, or this book is like no longer selling. But I don't think about it because I'm not business minded, right? Mm-hmm. So I but just feel. If I always a- think, wow. I get to write another book. <laughs> I make enough doing this that I can write another book. And that's kind of as far forward as I think, which is more far forward than I used to think. Like, oh, sure, I'll move to Saskatoon. I've never heard of it. I don't even know where it is. Where's Saskatchewan? Or is that the same place? Like, this is what I'm trying to say to you when I talk about maybe having a bit more forethought. Mm-hmm. I could 
spend some time thinking about that and being like, you know what, actually, I'm doing really well as a YA author or really badly as a YA author when it look at if I look at the numbers, mm-hmm. but I don't think about it. I just think this is a really good idea. It really excites me. I want to write it. And so that's as far as I go. But would you say you're in a sweet spot right now because you are able to write another book and you know that it, it could get published? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, and I'm would you certainly... say that it's like... But it's not a guarantee. Um, and oh. I never feel like it would be like... It's never a for sure thing. No author ever... Well, I'm sure there are lots of authors maybe, the very successful ones. You happen who to know no one. Yeah, like... but. <sighs> Even I think the industry is just is changing and you can't rely on the next book, right? You have to just just be hopeful. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. any artistic endeavor, you know, like a band might mm-hmm. um, come out with a new album and they don't know if it's going to be a success or um, somebody might, you know, create a song that everybody wants to listen to on YouTube mm-hmm. and it does really well for them. But it depends what success is. Is, is success financial security or is it the ability to write another book and for me as a writer it was always you know make sure I have skills and income that I can write my next book and that's always been the focus right Right? it's the thing I love um so I have practical things like I have a thousand students online I teach online I I do practical business things to make sure that I can afford to do what you I want to do. You teach a thousand I, students? I don't teach them one-on-one, but I have a thousand students, yeah. Like, what is that, at, a, at the same time? Or? So I, ha- I have online courses that people can buy and they can access and then they can connect with me through Facebook if they have questions. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Is that a pretty good business model for mm-hmm. you right now? Yeah, that works well. And like, But it's also really interesting for me. Like, it's mm-hmm. a privilege to be able to teach. And so... You're kind of like a, <sighs> you're, you're like a musician puts out albums but also teaches guitar there you go kind of i like teaching writing i like thinking about it I, I sort of feel that there's a lot of things i could have learned um earlier that would have made it perhaps fewer years and years of rejection letters just practical things technical mm-hmm. things certainly with children's writing like i'm talking about those different types of books that mm-hmm. that are for children what well, each of them comes with rules and conventions i mean that in and of itself i could talk about for a couple of hours but knowing that would give you if you decided to write a children's book would give you a lot of tools to be able to decide what type of children's book you were going to write which would save you a lot of time in the long run well one thing that you've taught me right now is that it's probably a lot harder to get a children's book published than it it looks because everybody's read a book to their niece or their child Mm -hmm. and is is shaking their head going there's got to be a way i could come up with this Mm -hmm. And, and, like, for lots of people, they can, right? Um, but it sounds like there's a lot of steps before it actually hits the bookshelf, right? Yeah, there's a lot of steps. And, and it's more than just an interesting drawing of Timmy the Turtle and a sentence about him winning the race. You can write your Timmy the Turtle book. You know that. Like. <laughs> I have a lot. Of, I, here's the thing. I don't yeah. know if you're, if you're short on story ideas. Nope. I got I got a ton of story ideas. I just am a terrible writer. Yeah. And I, I'm looking for friends to write these ideas. But uh, they're probably just so point. Like when I talked to uh, Jan about his his book on Homer's Odyssey, I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, like he's. I was I was thinking at one point of going, I got this really funny like movie idea. You should write it. And then when he started talking about that Homer's stuff, I'm like, oh no, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just gonna <laughs> tuck that away for another day. Well, there are people who who want to do that, who who want to do the writing and work with an idea person. But um, I. 
like the fact that basically I get to spend time with the ideas that mm-hmm. come up into my own head. Have you seen that TV show uh, on Netflix called um, Friends from College? I have. Have you? Yeah. So I like hate watched it when I, I think a lot of people did. It's like, you got to go through. I, oh God, I think I'm close like, to the second season, I hated it's, it and I just but it, there's something about it. it that is just, it's like candy, you know, you just mm-hmm. watch it. It's easy to digest and it kind of, and it's meant for people our age mm-hmm. that are right around 40. They that did are, their research. They right? did their research and they knew. And I, I'm a huge Fred Savage fan from Wonder Years, right? big time. And you. they shit all over the young adult category they do they do and when you when i read that you were a you're a ya person um do you relate with that a bit or do you are you proud of of occupying that space i feel that anytime a kid comes to me and says they've read something i've written and that excitement and genuine interest in what i'm doing is a privilege like i take it seriously isn't it weird because when you put something out to the world and you don't know who's reading it, and somebody walks up to you mm-hmm. and says, that, hey, I recognize you from something. It's not even the recognition piece. It's the fact that a kid is connecting with a story, and it mm. means something to them. And that, like, taking somebody to time up with something I've spent time on, if mm-hmm. I'm asking you to sit down and read a book that I've written, um, or I know or acknowledge that you've spent time to do that, mm-hmm. then I feel gratitude. And I think mm-hmm. if I didn't, I wouldn't be where I am as a writer. Like having kids excited about reading and having kids wanting to read and having kids excited about stories. Stories are central to who we are. So whether it's a written story or a spoken story or a story through music or a poem, that narrative piece is so important to who we are and how we function. When those stories are built on mistruths, you see the destruction of everything, right? And you mm-hmm. just have to look a little further south to see how people can use narrative in a really dangerous way. And understanding fundamentally what narrative is and who we are starts when we're really young. And building that and being a part of that for kids feels like work that I'm lucky to do. You sound like you're... Uh miles ahead of 40 right now you just there you go yeah that's a very really old yeah very (laughs) mature (laughs) um i do want to switch gears for the last 10 minutes here and talk about the reason why we know each other is because you managed to wrangle me in and so if i don't know if you notice on the other podcast i literally been just pumping my involvement with the sanctum Mm -hmm. i'm really happy that you're doing it uh and i'm happy that you brought me into it Mm -hmm. i'm I'm, I'm like kind of like you with the friends from college where I'm like hate liking it because <laughs> it's it's right. if for people who don't know it's 36 hours living on the street and I I wasn't at all scared of the 36 hours on the street I was really actually scared of the whole fundraising aspect of it because mm-hmm. I'm I'm you know I'm very vocal and, and loud but at the same time I'm private at the same time where I don't mm-hmm. like to share a lot what's going on especially on the social media side of things so that's why this podcast thing like is forcing me to to go on channels I don't really like but because of this um you brought me in to do this sort of thing but you did it last year mm-hmm. but you were were the only participant that brought uh, their child with them, mm-hmm. right? Ever, mm-hmm. and uh, so maybe talk about that experience that you had uh, living on the street to bring that awareness to the Sanctum Care Home. So I was partnered with realtor Greg Bamford, and my Saskatoon's son, George Clooney. 
That's that's right. Um, he did not look like that when he was when he was all like bearded and wearing donated clothes. That was different when he changed out of that outfit at the end. It was like, oh, so that's the first time you met him. Knew? Well, I'd never met Greg before no. In, until that yeah, day. So no. you met him as this kind of disheveled, like totally disheveled. wolf man. That's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> anyway, and then Theo, my son, um, who and was eight at the time. And so I had said that Theo needed to go to school in the day and then meet us after school because I figured that the parents whose lives were perhaps um, chaotic or dealing with a situation where they had nowhere to sleep or didn't know where they were going to sleep, they would still probably in the main attempt to get the kids to school. So Theo went to school and then he met us after school. So Greg and I spent the day going through the various challenges and it was raining and it rained all day long. I mean, it was one of those Saskatoon days that doesn't happen very often where it was raining from the moment the day began until the day ended. It did not let up. And that's fully through the entire night. It rained and rained and rained and rained. But and did rained you end up rained. having to sleep on the street or did so you? So Theo and I were sent to YWCA Saskatoon and they gave us somewhere to stay. So I used to work on the board at YWCA Saskatoon. I was there for six years. And I've been involved with the organisation for many years and I admire it and respect it and have been involved at the board level. And it was really interesting to go to the shelter and realise firstly how lucky I was, but also just how exhausting it would be to try to parent whilst perhaps leaving something incredibly traumatic, whilst perhaps not having all of my children with me because that was certainly what I was hearing from the other mothers who I talked to there in an environment that is busy and loud and changeable when you just want to get some sleep. So it was um, an experience that I found shocking, not just that, I mean, the YWCA was amazing. It gave me somewhere to sleep, but the whole experience of just how extraordinarily lucky I have been in the life that I have had. Not that I didn't know that, um, but it just made it impossible to go through the day, really any day since, without having some consideration of what could I possibly do to try to make our community better Mm -hmm. than it is. Because it is not in a place where it could be. Um, there are too many people in our city who have to live like that day in, day out. Never mind my 36 hours. Like the way that people have to live and the way that people start in life is for so many people in our city is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Period. When you took me through, one, well, I went to that orientation mm-hmm. and you took me through the, the different homes. And uh, I think it was really eye opening for me just to see the people who. I don't think I've ever really, really fully known that I've been around mm-hmm. anybody with HIV or AIDS. And definitely you're in that place that had people who were suffering from it or living with it. So the the Sanctum Care Group is an organisation with the executive director, Caitlin Roberts. And so I've been lucky enough that Caitlin has spent lots of time with me since the experience. And basically her and um, several other people too came together and decided that the fact that we lived in a city here in Saskatoon where people who had HIV, who were homeless, were dying with nobody to care for them. They would be sent away from the hospital because they didn't quite fit the criteria for staying there and giving them a place to be where they have dignity and where they are treated with respect and with kindness and an opportunity to 
perhaps be able to take the medication and improve or be palliative or in the case of sanctum 1.5 which is the home for women who are pregnant who have hiv who are homeless have the opportunity for the first time maybe ever to parent um what caitlin and sanctum care group have offered people is something that i find extraordinary and i feel very privileged to be part of it not that i am really very much um but just even to know that it's there and to try to help in any small way that i can as they do the huge amount of work that sanctum care group does but also what's interesting about the survivor challenge is that there's tons of other organizations that you get to know too so i've got to know and i feel very lucky to know what the work is of white buffalo youth lodge what the work is of the friendship inn um what several other key organizations that do extraordinary work uh, here in the city are doing so that i can glimpse how there is a possibility for social change mm-hmm. um we just need to know what people are doing and how to how to help them. and you guys have been pretty big community boosters um obviously from your donating your house to bringing people on and being a big flag waving uh, banner for sanctum um i think saskatoon is thankful that you guys have decided to stay in Saskatoon and make it your home because... Yeah, I feel like... So I was talking to a kid just a couple of days ago who was 15 and who was homeless, and I feel like until that is not something that is happening here in Saskatoon, that there's just way too much work to do here in the city to... You know, like... I, I don't feel like I have done anywhere near as much as I could do, but it's difficult because I don't really know what to do. Like, I don't know how you can help. How much do you give before you start? It's not even about giving. It's just about, like, what's a useful way to spend time? Like, what's a useful way to spend the time I have when I don't have a huge amount of experience and I don't have uh, knowledge and I'm not trying to, like, fix things for other people? I don't want to swoop in with that, like, I'm going to save this situation, but I would like to be able to see this city be better than it is and i think there's a possibility for it i think that there are ways that our city could improve 52 percent of people who are homeless in saskatoon have gone through our foster care system so that says to me that we have a problem with our foster care system straight there and we have a problem with how we're approaching foster care here in our city that's a really complicated statement And there's a lot of pieces there, but a lot of it goes back to colonialism, it goes back to settler privilege, it goes back to what here in Canada we're only starting to acknowledge with reconciliation, what I'm only beginning to start to understand and learn about. And so until those pieces start to become open and frank parts of communication, until I can learn to listen better and learn to understand better, I don't think there is much I can do until I even understand a lot of the issues, but at least I'm trying to understand more than I was because of this challenge. You're like me where you want to help and then you want to know where you can help and how you can help. And you're saying, I don't have much experience in this certain thing. And Fred Conji, we were talking about him mm-hmm. and realizing he's a mutual friend. I remember he told me a long time ago, he read this article and he said that humans are 
inefficiently volunteering mm-hmm. in the sense of a person like me would be trying to pick up a hammer and building a home. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm that's not my talent. That's not my skill. What we need to do is people who donate their skill and use their skill and their talent, which would you would be the passion and writing mm-hmm. um, and me for maybe using my voice for something. Because mm-hmm. um, there's some other people who might be able to do the accounting. People be able to yeah. do the, the administering of the drugs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... Uh, it made, and I remember doing this in a talk and talking about how like we all could be donating what we're good at mm-hmm. um, to help better our community. And I think you well, guys... understanding too, like some people maybe don't have that time, but what would be the most efficient way to donate? What's a good organization for an individual to connect with? Monthly donations are a really good way for people to connect with an organization because it gives like a sustained piece of support that can be really useful for organizations to rely on. So looking at what yeah like you say what each individual is good at what they can volunteer in that sense but also if that isn't a piece that fits with life like mm-hmm. I know lots of my friends with young children like they just don't have any time not with their jobs not with life right now mm-hmm. but what what is a way that we can connect but even just like so when we were doing the challenge at one point Greg and I and Theo were walking down the street and we were trying to ask just for some money so we could try and get a bus or some means of transport because we had to get across the city and it was very rainy and it was cold and Theo was tired and a family who probably a very nice family uh took one look at us and moved their child and moved as quickly as possible away from us and just how quickly you would start to feel that disrespect that piece And again, it wasn't something I didn't know to be polite to everybody and be kind to everybody in the city, but just actually stopping and taking time to acknowledge somebody and say hello and reaching out even in the most basic human way, like those pieces, those are are interesting. Like I was reading about a study where they had a group of students who were going to go and do a talk on how to help others and depending on one piece of information they were given before or after they were more likely to to stop and help somebody or less likely to stop and help somebody when their end piece was to go and give this talk on going to help other people right. uh, depending on whatever the, that piece was and it was something very minor that could that could change their behavior because you're so focused on the end goal that you forget the basic humanity that all of us need to recognize mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and hopefully yeah. you're... Are you going to volunteer during the day for... I'll, I'll be around the whole of the two days and through the gala as well, and I think what we'll try and do is some social media stuff where people can like look through our social media to see what people are doing this year and try and make sure that that gets shared. So are you going to be on the patrol interested? team that like watches us as no. we sleep? Oh, no. I thought that maybe you could be in your car and just be honking if anybody starts to try to steal my That's sandwich right. or something. No, no, like, no, I don't think I'm going to be doing the patrol team. No, we'll just be around, I think. And we've got to work that out. That's the next piece is to work that out. We've been working, I've been trying uh, to help um, to set up the gala, which is going to be an amazing evening, I think, where all of you talk about what you... Um, right. What you've done. So mm, set up is too dramatic a word. I haven't been trying to help set it up. I've just been trying to like listen and uh, do what is useful as that gala is put together. Well, I hope you guys, um, well, I hope everybody hits their goal mm-hmm. of $20,000 because I know that's been one of my big stressor. I think mm-hmm. I'm on my way potentially to hitting it and you made me feel good that you felt like you didn't get <laughs> your, yeah. hit your goal. But I feel like, 
that that challenge for me is to hit that goal, and I think I'm on my way. I hope you guys realize like all the, <laughs> the events that I'm trying to throw right yeah, now. Yeah, no, I've Got seen all that trivia yeah. nights and yeah. like dinners and this basketball tournament now. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, uh, no, it's really good, and you've oh. worked really hard. And also, I mean, the fundraising is important. The awareness is really important. Connecting feel- with people in your world who who maybe don't know about the work that Sanctum are doing and also the other organizations that you're going to encounter mm-hmm. um, during your time. Um, I think that will be really interesting for you. And then the other pieces is the fundraising. Like that bit I don't think about at all now, but I think about what I saw and what I learned during that very short 36 hours uh, and how much it's impacted me since mm-hmm. as well. So that piece I think will be really interesting as no. well as that gets closer now. Well, I got a few more weeks, so hopefully uh, I hit my goal. And uh, mm-hmm. but I do want to say thank you for. You can hear my roommate just coming in, and yeah. he's, he, I think he was sitting outside just waiting for me to end, and he was texting me. He's like, "I'm just waiting outside," because he knows this garage door opens. Oh, but there you go. I think it's all part of the the, the ambiance. Well, of the, donate the to Albert. <laughs> Anyone who's listening, I, yeah. I say donate to anybody. Really, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. I, I, it doesn't I'm really matter. Excited. It all goes to the same place. It yeah. does go to the same place, and like it's my stupid competitiveness that wants me to. Like, Don't donate win to the Albert. Race. Donate to one of the other eight. Yeah, exactly. Keep him competitive. <laughs> Keep <Yeah>. him competitive. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I do want to say thanks, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks or next week for my trivia night. Yeah, so. trivia night number two. Cool. Okay, and just quickly, your, your website. If anybody wants to know more about Alice Kuipers, mm-hmm. is. But that's K-U-I-P-E-R-S dot com. That's right. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for coming in and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.